blessing to be able to come together and partake of the Lord's table. Um, we practice what's called an open communion. It's open to all those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because uh, that's what we understand is the way you're saved. The verses that Kelvin quoted this morning were saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any should boast. But we are his workmanship created for good works before the foundation of the world, that we should walk in them. So works have a very real role in this conflict that we find ourselves in. But you just can't work to be saved because Jesus did all the work on a cross in your place. But because we have been saved, we can work to thank him for all the blessings that he's poured out on us now and forever. As we come together to celebrate the Lord's table, it's always a time to take a look at ourselves, time to remind, to ask ourselves, since the last time we did it, have we made any improvements or are we headed the wrong direction? Because we're told and warned in 1 Corinthians 11 not to partake in an unworthy manner. So if we're headed in the wrong direction, then we need to stop and think and try to make some adjustments in our, in our thinking, in our life, and try to get back on track and get our, our paths headed toward doing the things that are pleasing in the eyes of God. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says that we make it our ambition, Paul does, that, that, that we seek the things that are pleasing in his eyes. Why? Because we all believers must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for our deeds in the body, whether they're good and acceptable or whether they're worthless and useless. So we need to ask, what are we doing? Are we trying to live this life honoring to him in all we think and say and do? Now, we're all a bunch of goof-ups. That's where we start. And then we get saved by grace through faith. And we're still going to goof up from time to time in this life. But he said, uh, if we have sin, confess it. Don't become a part of this world that tries to negate sin or legislate it away. Instead, rather realize what is in the eyes of God. Make that confession and be sure that we are headed in the right direction. The Lord's table is all about focusing on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we do that, it's important for us to just ask ourselves, is there anything we need to take in, for, in front of the throne, anything we need to confess? We need to get ourselves ready to partake of this ritual that is very important and very informative, but it's not to be viewed lightly. We need to be sure that we're ready to partake. So, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we come together today with great thanksgiving. Father, what we do know that you have revealed to us is that our Lord Jesus Christ is, is really you, God, who became flesh and dwelt among us. Glory as the only begotten from you, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you for that, that amazing balance of righteousness in the form of truth and grace in the form of love. And Father, we thank you that you sent him to take our place on a cross. 
Father, I pray indeed that as we partake of this today that, that we would come to appreciate this amazing plan of yours all the more, the amazing work of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blessing that it has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So, Father, may we indeed, as we partake, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. The bread, it's the first element of the Lord's table. There are two elements, the bread and the cup. The, um, uh, the bread is a picture of his perfect person. It's unleavened bread, which means that, that there's no evil in Christ. Being born of a virgin says that he had no imputation of the original sin of Adam. Now, that's important because it, touched, it touches all of us. We all have that. That sin of Adam was passed on, according to Romans chapter 5, to every member of the human race. But being born of a virgin, he didn't have that because he had no earthly father. He had a heavenly father. And so that was important. It was miraculous. It was prophesied all the way back in the garden called the promised seed of the woman. It was spelled out in the book of Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a, a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. It was prophesied and it was fulfilled. Now what is amazing to me is the fact that being born perfect the only one ever born perfect, by the way. Adam and Eve were created perfect. And they fell. But Jesus is the only one born perfect. And then he, he lived a perfect life. Because he was true humanity. Indicating he could have sinned just like Adam and Eve did. But he did not sin. And to me, that is amazing. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is his reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine going for... Uh, a year with no sin up here no mental attitude sin the overt sins we might get a handle on and we can the sins of the tongue that's a lot more difficult isn't it uh, but the sins up here it's hard for us to even imagine going really for a week and yet he lived 32, 33 years perfectly now to me that is that is what is amazing when <clears throat> Kelvin read Philippians 2 today consider others as more important than yourselves have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus that although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to but he emptied himself and he took on the form of a man being made in the likeness of men this is God that became man. This is not man that became God. This is God that became man, and he dwelt among us, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. But that passage called it, leads to the doctrine of kenosis, a big fancy word, the emptying out, is what kanao means in the Greek. The emptying out, they write volumes and volumes of books on it. And yet the point is to think like he thought. That's the standard that we are called to. And how did he think? He was unselfish. Okay? He left the throne for us. That's not typical in these last days especially. When men are lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of all the wrong things. But he left heaven. He was unselfish. 
He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Humility. Is that a problem of mankind today that we're too humble? Not hardly. And he was sacrificial. He humbled himself even to death on a cross. He gave himself for us. That's the humanity of Christ. People often get a picture in their mind that's not quite complete. It's not complete if we don't understand his unselfishness, his humility, and his sacrifice. And that's what this bread is about. Because what that did was prepare him to offer a gift only he could give. Only he could offer. To drink of a cup only he could drink. The disciples arrogantly said, we can drink of it too. And he said, not this one. This is one you can't touch. So this bread is about the man, Jesus Christ. The perfect man, Jesus Christ. But it's about the perfect sacrifice to pay for sins. Because if he was imperfect like us, he couldn't pay for our sins any more than we could. So this little piece of bread is a part of the ritual. It's taken from the Passover meal. It is unleavened bread. Pointing back to the deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt some 1400 years, 1450 years earlier. And it is an amazing picture of the fact God can deliver from any circumstances, but more importantly, He can deliver your soul for eternity in heaven. So this bread, as we pass it out, it's important to think about what is behind it. And let us do that. Think about the man, Jesus Christ, as we pass out the bread. And we'll all wait and partake of it together. Gentlemen. <clears throat> he took the bread. He broke it. So this is my body that is broken for you. Keep on doing this in remembrance of me. And he ate. Live a perfect life. He came with a mission. He was born to die. He was born to die in our place. He was born to become sin. He who never knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. It prepared him for his, for his work. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He tried to explain it to his disciples, but they, like a lot of us, just didn't want to hear some things. Some things are beyond our understanding, and some things we hear we just don't want to hear. Well, you might remember that Peter was given basically the keys to the kingdom, and then the Lord told him, said, uh, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to take me, crucify me. And remember Peter said, Lord, we'll never permit this to happen to you. Peter just given this big promotion, and then he just stuck both feet in his mouth at the same time. And the Lord said, what? Get behind me, Satan. Because you have your mind set on man's interest and not on God's interest. It was not pleasant. He walked through the valley of the shadow of death and knew where he was going.
Some people go through the valley and they don't realize they're walking into it till they're there. He knew and still walked into it. That's the cup. The cup is a picture of his amazing work where he took on himself the sins of the entire world so that whosoever would believe in him shall have a promise everlasting life. As we pass out the cup, let us remember about the man, Jesus Christ, on a cross, taking on the sins of the world, his father turning his back on him in order for him to bear the sins of the world, and drinking a cup only he could drink for us. That's the power of his work on the cross so as we pass this out let us think about what he did for not just the whole world we can depersonalize it that way but think about what he did for us because we are all sinners he had you in mind when he was there because omniscience can't not know who you are and still he loved you and took care of your sins as well so it's a corporate and a personal thing at the same time and let us remember that as we pass the cup out and we'll all partake together he took the cup and he said this is the new covenant in my blood and as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes back again let us drink Father thank you once again for your amazing grace I know in eternity we'll have a new vocabulary and a lot more words to say thank you. And Father, I also know that we'll be thankful for those new words to thank you. So Father, we pray today that that's how we will live our life. And that's what our works will be. An outpouring of our thanksgiving to you for the amazing person and work of your Son that you sent to take our place on a cross. May we give you all the praise and the glory until he returns. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. They sang a hymn. Before we get started with the lesson, I'd like to uh, say a couple of things. Um, you may have noticed uh, in the news there have been people walk into churches and start shooting people. Over the course of the last several years it's happened. It's not. It's it's just becoming more frequent. Uh, the board of deacons has taken some precautions that uh, you need to be aware of, and uh, one of which is after the class starts, the back building where the kids are is locked up, so nobody can come in without knowing it. Uh, the only way they can come in is that door, and I can see them, and they go walking uh, across there. Uh, we are getting ready to set up. Uh, some cameras so we can see anybody approaching the building. We'll be able to monitor that. Uh, once the uh, once we start the class, the back doors here are locked, and uh, the deacon will get uh, the deacons will be sitting around the corner there, uh, just so they'll have some kind of warning. I'll be the first one to get shot, so uh, I want you to know that they. Uh, they may be after me anyway. I don't care. So, uh, <clears throat> but what you need to know 
because there's oftentimes instructions given. First thing you want to do is flee, then you fight. And we're not really set up that way. Seth Owsley's retired captain, Oklahoma City Police Department. He went through and did an evaluation for us and said this is basically what we need to do. If someone gets in as an active shooter, there's only that door and that door. And you don't want to go running out that door because we don't know who is out that door. So the thing is, is that we have people inside who are armed, and they are trained, and they are ready to respond if that happens. Your best move is to get down in the floor. So instead of try to flee, we're going to stay here, stand our ground, and fight. And the, uh, that's why you have welcome to conceal carry people uh, out there on the door. That's what we have chosen to do. We feel like that's the best way. Seth gave us good advice, and we're going to take it. So anyway, that's what's getting ready to happen. I am one person that is armed. I uh, have been for a long time. I don't wear it um, out in the open, quite obviously. It's hard to get my AR-15. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I don't have one back here yet, <laughs> but uh, it's only prudent and wise to be able to do that. Uh, so if you see me come out with the gun, um, then uh, that notifies our deacons. It notifies the, those with the firearms that we know about. It no notifies them, and they know that there is a problem at the back door. So uh, if you see me with that, your best move is get down in the floor and try to stay there. Don't try to um, don't try to escape out this side door. We don't know if there's if there's more than one. That could be a shooting a shooting gallery. So we don't want to send people out that door if it happens. Hate to talk about this. People don't even we don't even need to be afraid when we come to church. It's kind of interesting though because. We're kind of unique in this part of the world because in other parts of the world where persecution is, it's a very real threat every day. That every time they come together and meet, we've talked to people in Kenya and other places, and that's exactly what they have done. People have walked in and started shooting. And um, so we don't want to be unprepared. I'm an old Boy Scout, so a lot of us remember the motto is be prepared. Okay? Be prepared and ready to go. So anyway, that point of business being taken care of, we wanted you to notify what steps uh, have been taken, what steps are getting ready to be taken, uh, so we'd be all ready for it in the event that it happened. Uh, in the event the uh, multiple ones of us are taken out, then start throwing chairs, anything you can do to disrupt, uh, to disrupt what's going on. Uh, but be sure you're you're all believers. We know where we're going to go. So I mean, it's uh, it's uh, we just don't want it to happen to anybody in here uh, in the process. So if they come through that back door, we're going to try to limit casualties. That's the that's the response. Anyway, questions, comments. Thank you. Okay. All right. 
Please open your Bibles this morning to Revelation, 14th chapter and the 6th verse. Here we are clipping along through the book of Revelation, actually at a pretty good pace uh, compared to some of the other ones (laughs) that we've been going through. I think we'll finish this 22 chapters in a lot less time than it took to do Hebrews because Hebrews required a lot more uh, explanation in some areas. We have been seeing the first chapter. You remember the first chapter. I'm not going to go back through the whole chart. And hopefully you've got it memorized by now. If you don't, eyes right, just a second. You can see the chart halfway up about a foot and a half in. You see that thing with the wings. Okay? You see three of them. That's what we're getting ready to study. Because I believe the first angel comes through right after the rapture. And as I've said before, people could still be looking up whenever this first angel comes through. Because God doesn't leave his place void. He does indeed uh, replenish uh, as he chooses. I think, but I have no thing other than a gut feeling of the way the Lord does things with structure... I think the second angel comes through, and it wouldn't surprise me if it was on the first anniversary of the rapture. Because then the news media is going to have to explain it all again. You have another angel that's going to come through. And then I believe on the second anniversary, that third angel is going to come through. They're all bringing a sermon with three points. And you're going to deliver the sermon one point at a time. And it's going to be some very clear instructions. It's going to go to the whole world. Now, <clears throat> Revelation 14, 6, and 7 is the first point of the sermon. And you find, and I saw another angel. This is Alas. It's an it's angel of the same kind. It's been like the ones that John has seen before, is all that's saying. I saw another angel flying. Word flying pateomized only five times it's used. It's all all used in Revelation. It's used in 8.13. That's in the trumpet judgments of the angel that was flying in mid-heaven announcing the three woes. Okay, the last three woes, which is the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet. Now, it says flying in mid-heaven. I love words like this. When they just pop up, it's, I can't pronounce it, but I like the word. It's mesuranemate. You ready for that one? It's only used three times, so I don't have to say it, but two more times in the history of the world. Used in 813 and 1917 of birds flying in the atmosphere. Okay, so it very clearly, meso is from middle, urane is the word for heaven, mid-heaven is what it is talking about, very clear usage of the word, and it's clearly for the atmosphere. So this angel that's coming through is in the atmosphere. It's not some star floating along in the, out in the heavenlies on the outside. It is a location where birds fly. So that tells us that it is in the atmosphere. And it says, having an eternal gospel. And I love words like that. Ionios, we get the word eon from that. And it is the word translated eternal or ages or ageless. And gospel, euangelion, the good news. 
Okay? I find interesting that angelos is a word that means angel or message. Its primary meaning is messenger. And the good news is euangelion. It's a combination of a, it's a good message is what it means, literally. And he says, having eternal gospel to preach, an infinitive, the verb euangelizo that is used here, to those who live on the earth and to every nation. Have you seen this before? We've talked about it before. We saw it back in chapter 5. To every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Now why say it four different ways? Nations look at political boundaries. Okay, There, there are lines, imaginary lines in a lot of ways. But they look at political boundaries. So when you see that word ethnos for nations, that's what you're looking at. And tribes, that's looking at racial distinctions. So the gospel is going to everybody. Racial distinctions. And tongue, that's our word language. So there's not a tongue on the earth that's not going to hear this. Not a language. Now this is phenomenal to think about. And that's why people say, well the Bible is just a bunch of myths and fairy tales. No, I don't think so. Not when you're talking about God. Well he sent this angel. And he sent this angel is going to go flying in men heaven. And no matter where your politics are, no matter where you're located, no matter what your race is, no matter what your language is, and people looks at social distinctions that we have. There are certain the Hmong peoples in in uh, uh, Vietnam. You have uh, various people, and that's what it looks at: social distinctions. Now, it's using these four words. You're saying everybody. Okay? But it's saying everybody, no matter where you live, how you think, what you do, what your race is. And he, this angel, said with a loud voice. It's interesting the little tidbits you get going through these things. Because this guy talks with a loud voice. Third guy talks with a loud voice. Second guy just makes a statement. Well, why? <laughs> a little different message. He said with a loud voice. Fear God. This is the angel. has got an eternal gospel that comes through. And it's a command. He gives a series of commands here. And again, if this is right after the rapture, maybe while people are still looking up, what is the command? It is the fear is the word phobeo. Arist active imperative looks at the whole attitude of fear in the sense of respect. Fear is also a matter of focus. So... Fear the God. Why would he say fear the God? Because people are worshiping a whole lot of other gods. Okay? So here he goes. Fear the God and give. Second command. This is the word ditto me. Normal word that you find for give. Another aorist active imperative. Plus doxa, the word for glory. Give him the recognition that he that he deserves. Fear God. Fear thee God. Give him glory. And then it says why? Because. The hour. The word hour is the word horah. It's used 106 times. It's used in chapter 3 verse 10. That's the promise to the church at Philadelphia. Which is to all the churches. That he says I will deliver you from the hour of testing 
In Revelation 8, 1, it's used again. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It tells us the trumpets didn't start blowing until about halfway through the tribulation. It gives us some timing sequences as to the, when the events are going, going to happen. And he says, because the hour of his judgment. And see, that's why I believe it's right after the rapture. Because hour is used to describe the seven years in the tribulation. So right after the rapture, the gospel goes out to the whole world. He says, of his judgment. Now this is the word crisis. We get the word crisis from it. <laughs> a crisis brings about a judgment in a sense. Used 47 times as literally the judgment of them. And it has the... Focus on the execution of the judgment, not the rendering of the verdict. This word crisis, when you study it out, and it's one of those things that is people that start studying the original languages, they start tracking these things down, and I, you know, I start look. I still remember going through this, and I'm going, is this talking about the the verdict or the execution of it? And it depends is the answer. Because I was thinking, boy, it would be really cool if the one, this one meant verdict and the other one meant the execution of it. But no, there's an overlap. And what it's saying here, because it's time for the execution of the judgment to begin, because the ruler of this world has been judged already. <laughs> Remember, certain judgments have already been rendered, but they've not yet been executed. So here is this angel coming through, flying in, in mid-heaven. I was outside last night. Um, <laughs> went outside and I saw this great big white light. Five-pointed five star. And I thought, well, that's not Venus. That's way too big. If Venus is that close, we're in trouble. And so I'm thinking, what is this thing? And it's kind of like this angel flying through in mid-heaven because this is just lit up like a Christmas tree and I finally figured I don't still know if it was a helicopter or an airplane you know because it was too cold to stand out there and find out but anyway it says here and you're thinking here's this angel coming through he says because the hour of his judgment has come aorist active indicative point of time it's happened and worship. What do you got? Fear God. Give him glory and worship. This is the word proskuneo. There's several words translated as worship. So you have to take a look at them and go, which one is this? It's used 60 times, 24 of those times in the book of Revelation. And it's a word that means to prostrate oneself. It can mean to kiss the hand of... To fall upon one's knees and touch the forehead to the ground is the basic meaning back when this word was being used. So whenever it says worship, it is talking about doing obeisance to. This was a common usage among the Persians to do obeisance. Now where, what came out of the, the Persians? The Muslims, right? What do they do with their little prayer rug? Okay, that's the, that's the action that is being described by this word. Okay, that is the action being described by this word. And I find this interesting because <laughs> there's still going to be Muslims left. 
when he's doing this. Okay, now what if you're told to do something that a Muslim does? You're a Christian. <laughs> okay, there we, do we you know, wait a minute, Lord, are you really talking about this? Roll the stone away. But he stinks. No. Just do what I say. He's got a bigger plan than what we can think about. But this is what it says, do obeisance to him. And I love this. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Sea is salt water. Springs of water is fresh water that we're looking at. Now, this angel comes through right after the rapture. Because he proclaims the hour of judgment, referring to seven years, according to its use in 3.10 and 8.1. This angel is visible and audible, he says in a loud voice. This go- the gospel has never, ever changed. It's an eternal gospel. And it has never, ever been political, racial, societal, or cultural. Ever. Don't you think that's what whosoever means? Exactly what it means. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Right? Believes in him shall never perish. The whosoever is every tribe and nation and people and tongue. Now, many of the 144,000 are probably converted at this time. And they pass on this message for seven years. We don't know exactly how, how fast they convert. Because we've got Moses and Elijah coming on the scene. They're evangelists too. It's, they don't have to all convert right at once when this angel comes through. But they will be those 144,000 that will be sealed. That will make it all the way through the tribulation. And stand, stand with the Lamb on Mount, the Mount of Olives whenever he comes back and on Mount Zion. Their message is to focus on God and glorify the Creator. Now think about this, because if you're just blowing through reading the Bible, you're going, oh yeah, he gives the gospel to every tribe and tongue and uh, nation and tribe and tongue and people. And you're just blowing through this, and we don't stop to think about it, because it says, and to do obeisance to him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Why add all that flowery language in there? And just do obeisance to him. Was this just extra words because God needed some more parchment to fill up? I I don't think so. Now, their message, focus on God and glorify the creator. Judgments are getting ready to happen on the earth. Right? They're not supposed to worship the environment anymore. That's why this is given. Because what is man being reduced to? Mother Nature. What is Mother Nature other than a worship of the environment? It's a Hindu deity that's been sold to the American people in a big part of the world. It is not Mother Nature. It's in charge. It is Father God who is in charge. It is a subtle yet blasphemous distinction. Now... The Muslims commonly do obeisance, dropping to their knees, touching their forehead to the ground. 
But this practice is ordered for the entire world, only only in obedience to Yahweh Elohim and not Allah. See, the action's not the problem. You know, I've, I've seen people say, well, certain actions are the problem. No. Some people raise their hands to sing. Other people don't raise their hands to sing. Okay, the question is, who are you giving praise to? Okay, not not the form or the method. So you want to bow down on your knees and touch your head to the foreground and give praise to the Almighty who made it all? You're perfectly legitimate to do that. I've often thought about in an airport, what's going to happen if I'm in an airport and some guy brings out his rug out there in the middle of the airport. They usually have places they can go to do that to not cause a problem, but they're going to bring out their little rug. They've got places on airplanes. Did you know that? Especially Muslim airlines. They have prayer rooms up there right by the toilets, and they can go in there. I guess they got to be sure which direction to face. They may have a compass in there. I don't know. But they've they've... They've got little places that they can go in and they can do their thing. Some airports have three different... Uh, Doha Airport has three mosques in, in it. And I'm, th- I'm thinking about this. And I've thought, what if they pull that stunt in the airport and start doing it? What would you do? Would you keep walking? Well, I've thought about it. And I thought, well, maybe I wouldn't. I don't know what I'd do if actually confronted with it. But I know what I'm thinking about doing. (laughs) Which is also dropping to my knees in the other direction. And offering up a prayer to Yahweh Elohim. Okay. Ah, If they can do it, I can too. Let's see what happens. Not supposed to have weapons inside the airport. So I guess we'll find out if any of that happens. They commonly do obeisance to that. This is really a call to stop worshiping the creation. We are supposed to be a steward of God's resources. Man was put in the garden to tend it. We're supposed to be a steward of it. We are not to worship it. And what have people tried to do throughout all of history? Is worship the creation. Aren't we warned about that specifically in the first chapter of Romans? Beginning along about verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth. He says, professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man's birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. It says the biggest problem, they exchanged the truth of the God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. So this gospel that this angel is going to come to is fear God. There's gonna there's a message that's going out. Maybe they don't know how to fear God or know which one, but they're certainly going to have people telling them over the course of this. And I, I ask, what a simple but important message. It's a simple message. Fear God. Give Him the glory. And how do you do that? Accept the fact He sent His Son to take your place on a cross. Now, how about the next angel? The next angel in 14.8 says, and another angel. It's another one of the same kind. A second one 
followed. He came along after the first angel. Now, there's no indication that it was followed immediately that's here. So that's why I say that it could be on the first anniversary as a reminder from God. Remember this first angel that came through? Saying, and it doesn't say loud voice. This one doesn't say that. And maybe this statement is more localized than directed. I don't know. But it left the word loud out of there. The first and third angels, whenever it comes through, says a loud voice. It indicates it goes to every part of the planet. And you say, well, that's, that could be confusing, couldn't it? No, unless the, unless the Holy Spirit's doing the translating. Then it's no problem. Fallen, fallen. Repetition of the, of the verb. It's the word pipto. Both aorist tenses. Fallen in a point of time. It's repeated. As we're going to see, it's going to indicate two Babylons. Two different Babylons. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. There's a religious side and a political economic side of Babylon. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. The word passion here is the word thumos. Thumos is a word for anger. Anger, this thumos anger, is the explosive type of anger, which you've all witnessed other people having from time to time. Orge is a slow-burning fuse anger. Okay, It's just kind of an under-the-surface anger. That is translated wrath, and that is the wrath that God is going to pour out on all the earth. But he's going to do it in forms of thumos, because thumos is the explosive type of anger. Now, it's a word that means, means anger. And so why did they translate it passion? Because anger is a passion. But the focus of this thing is anger. So why is the word anger being used here? So after the gospel is given, another angel announces the fall of this end-time entity. Uh, <clears throat> Revelation 18.1 I find it interesting. There's going to be a fall of Babylon. People are often talking about this being rebuilding of historical Babylon and all that. In 96 AD, when this is written, it was not an issue. Babylon was not an issue at all. 18.1 says, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory, and he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now see, it says it, it's an angel tells the world in 14.8. 18.1 is the timing, more the timing of when it's going to happen. And she's become a dwelling place of demons, economic, prophetical, political Babylon, of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. And all the nations have drunk of the wine of the anger of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now this is saying that there is an entity connected into every other nation on the planet. And that this nation is making other nations quite wealthy in the process. But there's fornication involved. So there's a selling out of standards along the way. You can see that as, 
as uh, very clear. The phraseology is only found one other place in the Bible, in Isaiah 21.9. Now, <clears throat> Isaiah 21, 1-10 is kind of interesting because it says, the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. That's the introduction. Hmm. What could that be? Well, that's one of those things. That the, the Lord said, just keep reading. Keep on reading. And whenever it was written, it's going to be about 300 years before they had the answer to that. But that didn't make any difference. So or, the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea. See, because prophetical Babylon is a land surrounded by water. It's not historical Babylon. That's a property in the middle of a desert with a river running through it called the Euphrates. Two totally different places geographically. It says, as windstorms, here's a comparison, and the Negev sweep on. It comes from the wilderness, from a terrifying land. A harsh vision has been shown to me. Now, Isaiah has already got a vision of Babylon in Isaiah 13, and he's going to get another one in Isaiah 47. And this is called the wilderness of the sea. And as you get to know more about it, you see it's referring to prophetical Babylon. Jeremiah 50 and 51 will make it quite clear. A harsh vision has been shown to me. The treacherous one still deals treacherously, and the destroyer still destroys. Go up, Elam, lay siege Media. I made an end of all the groaning she has caused. Media is Persia area. For this reason, my loins are full of anguish. Pains have seized me like the pains of a woman in labor. I'm so bewildered I can't hear, so terrified I cannot see. My mind reels. Horror overwhelms me. The twilight I long for has been turned for me into trembling. He got a vision of the destruction of the wilderness by the sea. And it's upset him so bad, it's like PTSD. That's what we call it now. It has upset him so bad he can't sleep. They set the table. They spread out the cloth. They eat, they drink. Rise up, captains. Oil the shields. For thus the Lord says to me, Go station the lookout. Let him report what he sees. And when he sees riders, horsemen in pairs, donkeys, camels, let him pay close attention, very close attention. Now what's getting ready to happen? He's saying that Babylon's being surrounded. Then he, the lookout called, O Lord, I stand continually by day on the watchtower. You think that might be where some people got their publication, the watchtower? And I am stationed every night at my guard post. Now behold, here comes a troop of riders, horsemen in pairs. And one answered and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the images of her gods are shattered on the ground. It didn't happen in Isaiah's time. O oh, my threshed people and my afflicted of the threshing floor, what I have heard from the Lord of the armies, the God of Israel, I make known to you. The Babylons that are in view are economically and politically 
powerful but morally bankrupt. They have used their power to corrupt the nations. The 144,000, I believe, will be exposing the wiles of this religious and economic harlot, the one we see in 17, religious Babylon, and also the one that we see, fallen, fallen, the one we see in 18. One is religious, the other one is an economic Babylon or prophetical Babylon, as it's called. The world thinks that fornication will bring about joy, but instead it generates anger. Where does anger come from? Because it is never satisfied for long. Fornication is about immediate gratification. But it doesn't satisfy for very long. And so what is this saying caused all the nations to drink of the wine of the anger of her fornication? People that are involved in those things outside of the Lord are going to find themselves mad all the time. You think the world's mad all the time? It seems that way, doesn't it? One of the primary causes of anger is unfulfilled expectations. We want it to be this way, and it's this way. It will drive us absolutely nuts. The world thinks it will bring about joy. Fornication is really a twist or distortion of otherwise righteous things. The goals are always frustrated. The goal is satisfaction. Rolling Stones answered that question 40 years ago. I can't get no satisfaction. Yeah, that's, that's what the world wants. But it's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the peace that passes understanding. And all the anger in the world should be a definite sign to the fact they need Jesus. They don't need a political leader. They're going to have the Antichrist in the trib. we got political leaders all over the planet now. There are no solutions ultimate to be found in them. What are we finding instead? A whole lot of anger that's around. Two angels. Two amazing messages. The third one coming up. Don't take the mark of the beast. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. For your mercy, grace, love. All your blessings. All your tests. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. And Father, we thank you for your amazing word. Thank you, Father, that we get a glimpse into what is going to come on this world. And yet, Father, we know the solution is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that while you tarry before the return, that more and more people will hear the saving message of our Lord Jesus Christ and join in the family. Become priest along with us and let us all rejoice together. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.